This episode is brought to you by the Matt and Mark Movie Show, a not-safe-for-work movie podcast that covers major new releases with a comedic spice. They also provide weekly movie recommendations for the film lover in us all. This month, they're getting into the Halloween spirit by doing only horror movie episodes. Oh, yes. Now we're talking. I've been instructed to call them spoopy episodes. You know, the meme? Anyway, as a movie lover, I myself love this podcast. I really do. It appeals to the inner Kubrick and Spielberg in me. The show is entertaining, super well-produced, and the chemistry between the hosts is something sorely lacking in podcasts of this type, in my opinion. You love movies? Then give the Matt and Mark Movie Show a must-have spot on your podcast playlist. Thanks, Matt and Mark Movie Show, for supporting Asylum 817 Productions. A link to their show will be provided in this episode's notes. Strange Places. I'm your host, Billy Dean Shoemate III. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate you. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. See, I like jumping around. Makes the show interesting, right? We go from distant past to recent stuff. We don't stay in the same area. We go to North America, South America, England. We go to different countries. We move all around. Makes the show interesting. So... I saw something that I put on my short list because I don't want to stick around the same areas all the time. Found another one from Australia. And I know this podcast is not called Strange Australian Places, but <laughs> as I was looking up things and kind of putting things on my break glass in case of, you know, Billy doesn't come up with any ideas short list, I came across this one. And the more I read about it, the more I was intrigued by it. So, needless to say, we're going to stick around Australia for just a little bit longer. Why? Well, because I got a story to tell you, and it interested me quite a bit. On the 16th of December, 1835, Joseph Shuttleworth found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Engaged in the construction of the church at Port Arthur, Shuttleworth was Tasmania area. Shuttleworth was digging a trench when fellow convict... William Riley, fellow convict, struck him on the head with a pickaxe. Shuttleworth was taken to a hospital, still pretty lucid, however. He started convulsing, and eventually, after some time, he passed away. Riley was arrested, and his case was sent to trial, found guilty, sentenced to hang. And hang he did. It's at the center of the now-ruined Gothic church at Port Arthur that this gruesome murder is narrated in great detail to a group of ghost tour participants. Yeah, they do that. Quote, we are close to the very spot where it happened. Unquote. We're told by tour guides who's dressed in full length, dark brown overcoats, hats, not unlike those worn by Victorian era gravediggers. I mean, they, they do the whole shebang. The group sticks closely together because it's late at night. And although the exterior shell of the ruined church is well lit, the ground is not. Light comes from several lanterns that are carried by the guide and selected ghost tour participants to light the uneven ground. 
all for effect. The circle of light has the effect of creating a, a safe place as the group moves through the dark historic buildings, right? And it's here, in a circle of light in the middle of the church, participants are told that in all likelihood, Riley had a death wish, that he wanted to die to escape his life at Port Arthur, and that poor Shuttleworth was merely a means to an end. But they're also told, we just don't know. This brutal incident could have been a murder-suicide pact. It could have been the result of previous unknown grievances between the two. We don't know for sure. Regardless, the violence is emphasized, as is the possible randomness of the act. The guide asks the participants to remember the dark side of human nature and to look around at our fellow, you know, at the <laughs> fellow uh, tour group participants and ask themselves who amongst them they trust. Pretty... Uh, I would say elaborate <laughs> ghost tour thing. I mean, they're dressed up to the nines and everything. I saw a lot of photos of this. It uh, looks like a pretty neat little production. You don't usually see that. Stories aside, let's look at the meat, okay? Since its founding, and even more since it fell into disuse, Port Arthur in Tasmania has fascinated, intrigued, shocked a lot of people. A prison established to deal with the apparent worst of British society the methods employed and the living conditions generally were often punishing and brutal, so much so that Port Arthur was to become notorious. The global historical imagination as a place of not only physical pain and suffering, almost like something out of a horror movie, but of emotional pain too, fear, shame, melancholy, despair. For instance, were actively generated through various imprisonment practices. The purpose of regulating and reforming Port Arthur's inmates at most times an absolutely medieval methods. A medieval methods. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, a, it's a complex place imbued with emotions and a multi-layering of grim, grim history. Port Arthur has long been considered an important tourist destination, particularly for those who, you know, seek the dark, even... You know, even when it was still occupied, Port Arthur offered visitors an opportunity to view the wickedness and savage inmates while they slept. Yes, when it was in use, it was used as a tour place even back then. So they could, people could walk by and gaze at these, you know, the worst of British society, the most unruly of inmates, the worst people society had to offer like it's a zoo. Today, the inmates are long gone. And thanks to a series of brush fires that swept through the uh, you know peninsular region, the last of which all but gutted the buildings in 1897, Port Arthur is now ruins. Well-documented dark history of imprisonment at Port Arthur combined with a mostly absent and ruined material culture worked to create a void that's easily populated by another dark and quasi-present force. Ghosts and the supernatural. Or so they say. As far back as the 1870s, 1870s, ghost sightings and just weird, bizarre, strange occurrences were recorded around the historic site, particularly the Parsonage, which has a reputation for being one of the most haunted buildings, not just in Australia, but in the world. One of the most active on the planet. Port Arthur is famous for its ghosts, a fact that you're reminded of upon entering the visitor center, which has a framed collection of photographs, 
with captured traces of paranormal activity, photographs with weird blurs, lights, streaks. They display this right out front, which kind of reminds me of the, the Whaley House in Old Town, San Diego. Look it up sometime. At one point, I know that it was the most active haunted spot in the world. I think it's been dethroned <laughs> in recent years because I heard that the place has, you know, kind of tapered, tapered off a little bit. There's not as much activity. But looking at this, a picture of this plaque here with all the photos on it, it's exactly the same as what they had displayed at the Whaley House in Old Town, San Diego. We'll talk about that one on this show eventually, guaranteed. And they're so which I visited, you know, in, I, I visited the place in sixth grade on a field trip. It's a spooky place, talking about the Whaley House. And they have the pictures displayed of, you know, visitors and just normal tour guests, you know, like me, who have snapped these now famous photos. They're displayed everywhere. Some of them are pretty darn convincing. Some that stuck with me ever since. And I can conjure them up in my head just like I saw them yesterday. We have established on this show that hauntings are a thing, that curses are a thing. And it seems to me that so far, this place is absolutely ripe for it. We talk about strong human emotions. We talk about human pain and suffering, people dying with unfinished business. If ever a place were to become haunted, I would say Port Arthur is... Uh, you know, it's certainly got the makings for that. So let's continue. Let's really chop this up. I was just really fascinated about this place. The Port Arthur Ghost Tour has been operating formally since 1989. It's one of several options provided for tourists to explore the site. It's an incredibly popular tour. Gift shop, of course. Stocked with numerous mugs, t-shirts, hats, other merchandising. White chocolates shaped like ghosts. Oh, yes. Stand testament to this. The ghost tour is conducted after hours in the dead of night. Port Arthur's advertising brochure invites visitors to, and I'm looking at the brochure here, it says, follow pathways through darkened ruins and historic buildings as rich stories unfold. Relive unexplained events from Port Arthur's past, strange happenings that baffled and alarmed convicts, free people and soldiers, and continue to chill the blood of visitors to Port Arthur today. Listen to captivating stories that will resonate in your mind long after the lantern dims at the end of the night. That's a, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you owned a historical site, or if you found yourself, you know, through whatever means, if it was passed down or you're a part of the city or whatever, if you found yourself a owner of one of these historical sites, a lot of people say it's these ghost tours and gift shops and stuff like this that should just debunk it right off the bat. No, I completely disagree with that. I'm a businessman. I run a business. I have a production company, and we don't only do podcasts. We got two podcasts. We dabble in music production. We've made films. I mean, we we my little production company I have, I mean, I, we, we publish books. I mean, we do everything. I'm a business guy. I have to think. I think like a business guy. If I owned, I think like an entrepreneur. You know, I got that weird brain. If I owned a haunted place, well, yeah, I mean, you bet your ass that I would have some kind of a gift shop or what I just I don't see myself um, putting in speakers and 
rigging things to make doors rattle and stuff. That's not right. And I don't know how the hell those people sleep at night. That's just fucking wrong. Playing on people's beliefs and their faith like that. I mean, that's just wrong every way you look at it. Are there places like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there are. In fact, uh, I helped debunk one myself on a ghost hunt that me and my buddies went on. I just, I, I, I said to the owners of the place, you know, right to his face, I said, I wish we could have you arrested for doing stuff like this. But unfortunately, the cops would just laugh in my face. But what the hell was I getting at? <laughs> oh, yeah. But a lot of people say that having the gift shop and having the tours and all this should automatically debunk a place. I completely disagree. If somebody tells you that money doesn't make the world go round, come on. If somebody tells you money can't buy happiness, you know what you tell them? Tell them to grow up. <laughs> money can't buy happiness. Of course it can. You know, rich people, miserable, you know, you know what you know what you call a miserable rich person? An idiot. You give me the money if you're so miserable. If I can't buy it, I'll rent it for a while. What I'm saying is <laughs> that I just think that way. My time is worth something. And if I have something that I think that will provide some value, something that people will enjoy, my time is important to me. I'm going to make money at what I do, period. I would do it. And I don't think that's a shady thing at all. If it's legitimately haunted. Is this place. I think it's clear from the outset that emotions, particularly fear, are the key to both the presentation of Port Arthur's history on the tour and the desired outcome. The resonance of the histories of Port Arthur for the participant, the formation of memories. Just look at that description. They're so good at it. It's poetry. Well done. The ghost tour provides an embodied and effective means through which to engage with the historic site and its past. It's highly performative. I've seen a couple videos of this. I don't know if they were supposed to record it. It looks pretty... Uh, <laughs> looks pretty guerrilla. The, you know, recording scattered here and there that people have done of the tour. I don't know if they were supposed to do that or not, but it's presented with the aim of both educating, entertaining as well as it should be. Various strategies and props like the lanterns, the guide's clothing. At one point I saw an animal skull. They're all used for dramatic effect. Pretty cool. These strategies actively seek to generate fear, anticipation, and the expectation that something might happen on the tour. There were a couple things in that video, that series of videos, that bothered me. If I have a place that's legitimately haunted, I would let that speak for itself. I wouldn't have anything that might... See, you, you, it, it, this is going to be hard for me to articulate. I'm really not that smart with words. But hear me out here, and I hope you get what I'm saying with the limited vocabulary that I do have, is that... I wouldn't want to do anything. Let's say I ran a haunted place, right? And I start tours and all that. Or anybody would. Anybody with some damn common sense. If you start your ghost tours and do stuff like that, you would not want to put anything on there that might skew a person's judgment or get that adrenaline going, you know, for, for no reason. You don't want somebody walking away from that saying, oh man, I was already keyed up. And you know, when you're scared, you see things and all that. Why would you put things for effect in there? to possibly heighten that and skew somebody's uh, perception. You know what I mean? If you have a haunted place and you're charging people to see it, that's fine and dandy. 
But uh, what I'm trying to get at is, why put yourself in that position where people would walk away questioning it and saying, oh, these things that they put there that were you know scary for dramatic effect and stuff, why do you need that? The place should speak for itself. I hope you get the gist of what I'm trying to say here. Why put yourself in that position of somebody saying, you know, they had all this uh, scary stuff in there and it already got me freaked out and, you know, people see and hear things when they're freaked out, right? That bugs me. That bugs me a lot, actually. The props. Why? These strategies actively seek to generate fear, as I said. The narrative itself has a range of sensory elements that add to the vividness of moments from the past. References to bells tolling, the wind and vents. Are you getting a picture here? This sounds like a play, doesn't it? And to medical chemicals like formaldehyde, which you could swear that you smell in the dissection room underneath the visiting uh, magistrate's house. Moreover, the uh, what surrounding darkness and soft light, you know, from the lanterns. It's an eerie backdrop. It, you know, and senses other than sight must be relied upon. Obviously, you're told to watch your step, not to wander off and get lost. A heightened awareness of the surroundings adds markedly to the sense of anxiety. <laughs> and I say again, why would you do that if you have a place that's legitimately haunted? Why would you screw with that? I would want the, you know, I would want no outside factors messing with, you know, me, people being able to prove if it's real or not. Why the theatrics? I have a big problem with that. These feelings of, uh, you know, of uncertainty are reiterated and reinforced time and time again through stories illustrating that life at Port Arthur was difficult. Many, not just the prisoners, but the guards and doctors, they lived in fear all the time. This was a, this was a pretty brutal fucking place. I mean, just listen to this. 20th of April, 1867, William Carter committed suicide in the separate prison. He hanged himself with the straps off his hammock in his cell. Over the years, visitors, even shortly after his death, they experienced a feeling of extreme depression and anxiety when even walking near that cell. Could it be related to the suicide? I don't know. But the ghost tour participants meet William Carter after being locked in the separate prison. Yes, they lock you in there. Built in 1850, the separate prison was, and you have props, you lock somebody in the jail cell where someone killed themselves, the literal jail cell where someone committed fucking suicide, and you got all these props, and anyway, I'll quit going back to that. <laughs> that just bugs me. <clears throat> Built in 1850, the separate prison was part of the move away from the corporal punishments of like, you know, flogging, physical hardship, stuff like that, toward a regime where inmates were controlled by psychological and emotional means, which was probably no better. I think psychological torture is worse than physical. I've endured both. This involved social isolation through architecture, facial hood, solitary confinement to regulate their emotions, right? Or so they said. But keep in mind the time period, too. They, we didn't know anything about psychology. We didn't, you know, it was just, all of this, even medicine, modern medicine was still pretty medieval. The narrative provided by the ghost tour guide focuses on the ways in which Carter's death resonates in the present. Recently, I was told by my research and people that I've spoken to, visitors entering the space of the cell, all of them. I'm talking 100% of these people. And that's 
That's big. 100%? There wasn't one person that stood outside and said, no, I didn't feel it. All of them. Out of the tour group that I researched, a recent tour group, they were, you know, the, that was, you know, started post-COVID when they started doing tours again. They reported overwhelming feelings of sadness and despair, like an eerie, overwhelming feeling of it. One visitor was so paralyzed with emotion that they were found by others in the fetal position in the corner of the room, and a couple of the guides and two security guards had to carry this person out. And multiple people reported this. This story speaks to the role of spaces, I think, especially the importance of proximity to the historical spaces being key to its resonance. Crucially, the existence of common feelings across time. Now listen, these shared feelings, they make powerful connections, man, between individuals of the past, present, here, emotion. It works to recall a horrible event that messes with your head and to encourage the ghost tour participants to recognize familiar emotions and create effective connections with the past how effective is that when you lock them in a cell where someone killed themselves i don't blame someone for ending up in the fetal position honestly i'm surprised it was just one person it's a dynamic thing and why am i focus focusing so much on the tours because this is kind of an obscure one even though it's one of the most haunted places in Australia, this one's hard to research. And I have to base a lot of this on the, the tour. and Because the, the tour is where all the evidence is, right? This is just one of those places. It was a church. It was an old prison. There was a separate prison where people were said they were being treated, but these people were downright tortured, left to starve, beaten, flogged, left alone. No... At, Activities, no, nothing to do. I mean, yeah, these are prisoners. And I'm not going to get into the semantics of do they deserve this? Do they deserve that? These people were tortured. You know, these are human beings. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Walking by a lantern? Being taken into claustrophobic spaces? Subterranean dissection area? Yes, there was a dissection area. They experimented on these fucking people. That alone would generate feelings of major discomfort, right? Fear upon fear. The blurring of present and past emotions is a key to any ghost tour experience. The fear of seeing something unexplained, ghost, specter, it's difficult to fight. Particularly when coupled with fears of powerlessness, violence, the sense of removed freedom all around you. Many participants, uh, I'll, I'll read some quotes from them. These are people who have taken the tour recently. My husband was very cold all the way around, and he's very hot-blooded. I'm normally the one that gets very cold. I was warm this time, but I'm telling you, his skin was ice cold. It was warm in the cell. He was freezing. I felt this really strong pain. This is from another one. I felt a really strong pain in my knee. Couldn't have been. My knee does crack, but not like that. I felt my knee. I felt like my knee broke. I felt like I was feeling pains, being pricked by something that wasn't there. Another quote, when we were coming back, I said during the tour that I really felt like somebody was there amongst that group who shouldn't be there. I swear there was a person in our tour group that was just as real looking as you and me, but I got the strangest feeling whenever I looked at this man. No one else seemed to look at him. No one else asked him anything. No one noticed him. That's odd. That's bizarre that there was somebody walking around in her tour group and she says, this guy just, 
he doesn't belong in this group. That's pretty weird. Never heard of any story like that before. That's bizarre. Weird. All of the convicts and other people connected to the operation at Port Arthur, they were completely miserable. Prisoners and workers, doctors alike, or defiant. They suffered from inner torment. They suffered depression, melancholy, anger, generalizations and oversimplification of the emotional lives of the inmates at Port Arthur by history books and even in some cases the tour itself. You can't explain in any rational way, even if you're trying to do it educationally, the horrors that these people went through. You know what I mean? Whether it's, I mean, while it's true that a lot of the convicts suffer terribly, both emotionally and physically, it's also true that not every convict had the same experience. We got to look at that too. Those who were skilled would work at their trade. They were allowed to do this. If you were skilled at something, they, these people lived fairly ordinary lives if they maintained good behavior, structured routine, and they had some kind of skill. From what I've been gathering, but the very little that I was able to get from this research is that if you weren't skilled at something, if you couldn't help the prison out in some way, if you didn't have a trade, you were screwed. And you were pretty much left alone to rot. The ghost tours are the product of and contribute to a very particular sort of history, one which privileges the violent and dark aspects of the history of life at Port Arthur, you know? <laughs> it just It's so dramatic, I can't get over that. This is a weird place, man. It's a weird place. I am... I want to see what those uh, white chocolate ghost candies look like. No, I'm just kidding. I want to see... <laughs> I, want to, I want to look at something. Uh, I want to look at some of these photos in greater detail. Now, people are seeing different things. People are seeing... Strange light accretions, weird discs, like in uh, floating above them in the sky. I'm actually seeing another port report right now of supposed members of the tour group that are as real looking as anybody else in the tour, but don't belong there. People that others don't interact with, and typically only one or two other group members will see this person. That someone strange, kind of odd looking, out of place, follows the tour around and isn't noticed by any you know, anybody else. Man, this is so weird. When you try to research this place, pretty much all you find out about, I mean, all you find out about is this ghost tour. I don't, I honestly don't know what to think of that. Why is it that when you look up this supposed, uh, very, very active haunted place, all you find out is the ghost tour, man. I know it was a heck of a production from, you know, the little gorilla in-pocket cell phone videos that I saw. But damn, it's almost like the ghost tour is overshadowing the haunting itself, you know. But I'm looking at some of these photos in greater detail. I want to see some meat and potatoes here. We have established on this show that hauntings are indeed real. It is very difficult to make heads or tails out of photographs. I do think hauntings are real, but I'm gathering that not from photographic evidence, but from the crazy sheer number of people who have reported haunted places. 
and just odd things that happen when multiple people are together, people that don't make up stories, that don't bullshit, people like my grandfather who have experienced these things. And I'm not just speaking about myself here. We all, every family has a ghost story, and every family has that one person that you can go to if you really, really want to hear the real deal. That person, you know what I mean? That person with that inner strength, that person that, like my grandfather, that what they say, you can take that shit to the bank. What reason do they have to lie? And you know when someone's telling the truth, you know when they're lying. Look, just like the UFO thing. I'm not saying that unidentified flying objects are always alien. But damn, the sheer amount of evidence we have? Come on. I know it's cliche, but it would win any court case in the fucking world. Ghosts are the same thing. Dude, the sheer number of these cases, it's legitimate. You cannot overlook that hauntings exist. But photographs, I can't consider that viable evidence. I just can't. Are there some ghost photos that are legitimate? More than likely, yeah. But I can't tell you which ones are. Because film, as we talked about in a previous episode... Film, camera film, especially old stock camera film, was very susceptible to outside things that you might not be aware of. You know? Atmospheric things, right? I did my own personal research on orbs. When people are in haunted places and they take photographs and they have orbs, you know, floating around in the photographs. I haven't, I, I mean, I took hundreds of pictures. We did all kinds of ghost hunts and stuff like that. I examined photos of orbs. I took some of my own, all that. I'm sorry, man, but I don't see anything that suggests to me otherwise that this just dust and particles floating around in the fucking air. Are they more prevalent in haunted places? Maybe, I don't know. Is it a coincidence? I guess, <laughs> right? Because... I researched orbs like crazy, man, and I don't see how they're any different from photos of just dust flying around in the air, damn it. <laughs> haunted places are empty. They're stagnant. It's very rare that a haunted place is still going to be bustling with activity. They're often cloudy, dusty, dingy places, you know? I just, orbs don't convince me. Ghost photographs don't convince me. There are some that really make me scratch my head, boy. But... Old stock film is so susceptible to a lot of atmospheric things. It's like the EVP thing. More than likely, yeah, there's probably some EVPs that are legitimate. But the reason why I discount them so much is because it's impossible, I'm telling you, it's impossible to tell which ones are and which ones aren't. I'm an audio engineer. I've been working in recording studios since I was a teenager, my whole damn life. I've heard some weird shit happen in the studio. When I talked about cable shielding, remember? One time I was in a vocal booth, an isolated vocal booth. <laughs> okay? We're talking soundproof vocal booth. And because of shitty cables, old, cheap, shitty cables with no RF shielding hardly, I heard the Howard Stern show through a microphone. I'm not shitting you. I don't trust EVPs because there's too many factors there. Digital cameras, they have a whole different set. <laughs> of issues that could happen. Atmospheric still. I can't use ghost photos as evidence. And there are some compelling ones in here. 
I think what's messing me up with ghost photos, honestly, is not only the atmospheric things that could happen. With the old stock film, with film film, camera film, double exposures are a thing. The end of the camera roll, you young guys probably have no damn clue what the hell I'm talking about. But us old cats, we know. (laughs) If you're at the beginning or the end of a roll, remember how the last photo always looks really funky? If you get a double exposure on top of that, man, you could pass that off as a ghost photo, no problem. (laughs) Right? The fucking Inquirer would give you $1,000 for it. Just from the last roll, if you take it just right, you know. There was a thing with old CRT TVs that they didn't really suffer screen burning. I mean, they still had it, like CCTV things and things that were a static image for a really long time. They weren't as susceptible to image burn-in as some of the older flat screens. They pretty much taken care of that issue, but old monitors, flat screens. You would think that the cathode ray tube monitors and televisions would be more prone to image burn-in. But it took a lot to burn in an image on a CRT TV or monitor. You had to have an extreme amount of time with just, you know. (laughs) And people would claim to see a ghost or see images in these televisions. Especially with the old film stock. And some of the older, older digital cameras did this. Your naked eye couldn't see the image burn in starting to occur with the old CRT TVs. You wouldn't see it for a while, but a camera could fucking see it. You bet your ass. Also, on top of that, flat screens don't do this, but you see a lot of supposed ghost photos of televisions, CRT TVs, the old ones, where people would claim to see a ghost in them. But they would say, oh, I just turned off the TV. The TV was off. Yeah, but those tubes are still hot. There's still an image on that TV. You're just not seeing it with your human eyes. It took a while for those TVs to fucking, you know, for those tubes to cool down. Yes, there would be an image on that TV. I forget how long an image could stick onto a CRT TV and still be picked up by a photograph. What I'm trying to get at with all my rambling is that there are too many factors with ghost photos. There's too many. I can't count those. This one is very interesting. Very, very intriguing. Some of the tourists are saying some really weird shit. And I'm going back to really old stuff. I mean, there's been ghost hunts out there. There's been articles. There's been all kinds of stuff. The theatricality, I think, is what really turned me on <laughs> to this story. <laughs> the theatricality of the uh, of the ghost tour. Because, you know, at, at the beginning, I was like, oh, come on. This has got to be horseshit. There's things working for it and against it. I don't agree with the theatricality of the uh, of the ghost tour. I think that if I had a place that was legitimately legitimately haunted, I wouldn't do all this extra shit because you, like I said, run the risk of people m- misconstruing their anxiety at all the spooky stuff and storytelling and all that that you had, you know, like mistaking that for real experience and vice versa. I think that raises an eyebrow for me that's a little shady I don't really like that but nearly every person who attends these tours sees something almost all of them I'm not going to debunk this I'm not 
Because in order to debunk something, we have to just like proving something. Debunking is just as difficult because if you are, you know, if, if we with our common sense brains, which common sense is not used in the study of the paranormal anymore, with our common sense brains in order to debunk something, we have to use the same method as proving something. We have to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this thing is not real. Can we do that with Port Arthur? No, <laughs> no one's ever found hidden switches or, you know, uh, little speakers in the corner. No one's ever, you know, found any of that stuff. All we have are some people who go on this tour and they're freaked out by what they see. People passing out, people vomiting, people freaking screaming and begging to be let out of the place. People smelling formaldehyde and getting sick, even though half of the you know people in the tour group don't smell shit. That needs to be studied. We can't prove it because the only evidence that we have are firsthand accounts and photos. In my opinion, as far as hauntings, ghosts, you know, poltergeist activity, stuff like that. Those are the two weakest forms of evidence you could possibly have. First-hand account and photographs, in my opinion. Because there are too many things that can fuck that up. You know what I mean? Why do I think hauntings are legitimate? I just told you why. <laughs> There's too much of it out there. There's too much evidence, man. Way too much. And if you have that much evidence, that insane case file, that case file would weigh 30 tons. <laughs> you know what I mean? The law of averages states that something in there has got to be true. If you have a case file that's that fucking big, there's some legitimacy to this. Is it the Loveland Frogman? Is it the Sasquatch? Is it this or that? Something that we have a small case file on. Something that hasn't been around since antiquity and that possibly millions of people have uh, experienced. The ghost. It's as old as the hills. We can't prove this place either, Port Arthur. So I'm going to say with this one, this one merits some further study. This one merits a lot of further study. I don't know why. Something just really turned me on about this one. I really wanted to talk about it. Because never before have I seen a place that was supposedly very, very haunted, like actively haunted, but the ghost tour that they have has almost overshadowed the haunting itself. But people are saying things and they're swearing that it's true. And I see the same photos being produced at this place that I saw at the Whaley house and that I see everywhere else. I want to debunk this fucking thing. I really do. But we can't because it has the same stuff as any other haunting anywhere else. You know what I mean? It's just odd to me that finding about, out about the history of the place is very difficult. I mean, what kind of place do you know of where the actual ghost tour is, you know, almost, uh, what am I looking for? Is upstaging the haunting itself. Doesn't that make you kind of think, okay, what's going on here? Those things bother me. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not gonna debunk it or prove it. We don't have anything to say otherwise. There's things that bug me, but there's things that kind of make me go ah, as well. You know what I mean? A place of tremendous human suffering, every bit as crazy as you see in any of these 
abandoned asylum, you know, horror films and stuff. This was this was a real deal. This was the real thing. We're talking experiments in the basement, people getting cut up and shit. It's crazy. I think, and I'll say this again, despite all the negative things I've said, is that if any place had the ability to be haunted and or cursed, it would be this place due to the sheer horrors that happened within its walls. So what do you think about Port Arthur, Tasmania? Hmm? Do you have any stories about it yourself? I got listeners in Australia. Come on, guys, speak up. I know some of you have been there. Let me know. Go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there as well as a link to get to our Patreon account where you can get everything from bonus episodes, giveaways of certain tiers, uh, bonus stuff, uh, just uh, t- outtakes. I mean, there's way too much stuff. But uh, check it out. Little as a dollar a month, check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. I really appreciate you guys. This show would not even exist if it wasn't for you so thanks for listening again and we will see you guys on the next one are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about i don't think so because every town has a strange place and maybe one day we'll visit yours The Strange Places Podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, You can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support strange places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.